0: Don Ennis. And I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb.
1: Welcome to the Trans sporter Room. We are back with a post-Thanksgiving new December episode. Today, we're beaming up Juniper Simonis. They're a roller derby athlete. They're going to be talking to us about their transition, about how they persevered in the world of competitive sports, especially roller derby. But first, let's get to the news. Carly, you wrote an op-ed this week Tell us about why you wrote the op-ed and what's it all about.
0: Well, I wrote the op-ed and it's something that's been in my head for a year. Uh, I when you constantly hear all the negative attacks about trans about about trans athletes, especially trans women athletes, trans feminine athletes, and being being a trans woman who plays sports herself. I finally realized that there's a pa- I kept seeing a pattern, and there's a group of repetitive patterns that are going that go through. Whether it's the poster that those that those people from Hands Across the Aisle put together, whether it's the, whether it's all the clickbaiters, you know, like Breitbart, the Blaze, Washington Times, all those people. No matter who it is, there's a pattern, and I kept seeing what are the patterns, and that's what led to. Me writing the article. In fact, in fact, Juniper is on the poster that's in the article where they're trying to like basically say there's all these, there's all these women taking over men, trying to make all these women, all these transgender women the boogie, the boogie person, the evil sort that are dominating women's athletics. And that got me to thinking, most people don't understand the the psychological. And the propaganda, um, the continuing repetition that's in place, they don't understand that that psychological conditioning that's placed upon them. So I said, let's decode this. Let's crack the code and give the people and give the average sports fan and give that person who's in the middle an idea of, no, this is what they're telling you and this is why they're telling it to you. And also, I admit, a lot of inspiration came from a lot of study and scholarship on the part of Dr. Veronica Ivy, who's done a lot of work as a philosopher on this art, on this, and and a lot of those writings inspired this. So that's what led me to do it.
1: What I loved is that we are also able to pair your op-ed with Sid's really well-reported story about how transgender athletes don't always win. He talked to four trans women who you know they put in the effort they do their best and it turns out you know what they don't always make it to the winners podium and that's an experience I think most trans people experience whereas most of the haters the turfs the transphobes all focus on a select few elite athletes who are champions but even they don't always win the other story that I wanted to mention in our news is Skylar Baylar is a transgender athlete. He's a swimmer. He was the first NCAA transgender competitor even before CeCe Delfer. And he was uh, back at Yale. And uh, sorry, he was back at Harvard. Yeah, get that right. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. He was back at Harvard and he was giving a lecture about his mental health, about gender identity. And he was trying to talk to people about understanding the transgender experience. What I love about Skyler is I reached out to him because a high school coach came to me and asked, can you help us find a swimsuit for our trans male swimmer who wants to compete as a trans man, but he doesn't want to wear a women's swimsuit. He hasn't had top surgery. And I reached out to Baylor, and Baylor is going to not only help this young man find his appropriate swimsuit, but he's offered to mentor him, which I think is just fabulous. That's the kind of experience that you don't hear about every day
0: you know that's called giving back but you know that's what queer communities always do we take care of we look after our own we take care of our own
1: it's what we do and what we do now is we beam in our first guest of december our 2019 second derby competitor let's set coordinates for portland oregon juniper simonis can you hear us are you here can you hear me we hear you welcome to the transporter room Let's make sure we get it right from the start. Juniper, what are your pronouns? Mine are she, her, hers.
2: I use they, them, their pronouns.
1: Awesome. Carly, what about you? She, her, hers over here. So Juniper, we had our very first guest eight episodes ago. Jess Fearin, is a roller derby competitor and she told us that her experience has been that she's found wide acceptance. Has that also been your experience, Juniper?
2: I would say Generally speaking, roller derby has been considerably more accepting than the other sports that I've played in my life, um, which include football and wrestling and baseball. But that bar is really low. Um, And while roller derby is really accepting, it's also been a place that's been very... Challenging to work through, like any other space, um, as a visibly trans, visibly non-binary woman.
0: What was last season like? Because I know, I know the season's coming up fast. The schedule's the schedule says things are starting in again in January. What What was last season like? What's this season looking like?
2: Yeah. So last season, um, I compete with the Road City Rollers, Wheels of Justice, and it was our first undefeated season in history. We went 10-0, and um, which is really awesome. Uh, we finished uh, with a 3-0 and showing at the championships in Montreal, um, beating uh, one of the other really dominant teams in the final, um, Gotham Girls Roller Derby from New York. Um, in the semifinals, we had beaten uh, archrival from... Uh, St. Louis. And um, in the first round, we had beaten uh, Philly Roller Derby from Philadelphia. Um, so we got to play a number of teams, um, all really fierce competitors, um, but we had a very successful season. Um, we had very little turnover from the year before. Um, and so we were able to really hit the ground running um, and be very competitive from the get-go. Um, we are right now um, in the beginning of our off season. Uh, our travel team season doesn't start up again until uh, late winter, early spring. Um, so more in the sort of like early March time is when we usually do tryouts. Um, but our home team season, um, uh, sort of our intramural teams, they start up pretty much right now. Um, they're just starting up their season um, as we speak. Um, I don't compete on our home teams um, to help give myself some time off in the wintertime, um, to focus on some other things and a little bit of recovery time for my body. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be getting uh, started up again here in a couple of months. And our schedule is just getting finalized now, um, but it looks to be pretty competitive and pretty tough. Um, and also continuing to be pretty international, which is awesome.
1: Tell us about what you're doing when you're not doing roller derby.
2: Sure. Um, So I am a PhD scientist in ecology and evolutionary biology. Um, My day job involves doing data analysis for species of conservation concern. And I do that at my own company. So I'm a entrepreneur. I'm a small business owner. Um, I've run my own company um, for uh, four and a half years now, and I get to do a lot of uh, statistics and coding and math uh, in some really nerdy ways, but to support species like salmon and bald eagles and wolves um, as they're being uh, protected and conserved through a whole lot of different actions.
1: Carly and I are at different stages of the transgender experience. I've been out now six and a half years. Started my medical transition nine years ago, and I have, you know, completed surgery and all those other things. I'm wondering where you are on that uh, timeline, Carly. Uh, just earlier this year, uh, got her name changed, and I was there. I was so excited for her, and uh, you know, Carly's uh, an athlete as well. Um, she runs and lives full-time as the woman she is. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah,
2: Um, so I was born in the mid-80s and I'm of a fairly common history, I think, of trans experience for folks of my generation um, where I was moderately open about my gender um, and my gender not really conforming to what people ascribed it to me when I was younger and felt some serious backlash um, and bullying
0: around that
2: Um, and kind of didn't deal with uh, the what was good for me in the long term um, until I was an adult Um, and so I um, I don't really like using the word transition because it often has the connotation of, like, I was one way and now I'm another way. Um, And I do personally feel like my life is a lot of fluidity, especially around my gender. Um, And so I've been more open and more forthright with people um, for about the last decade or so. And um, about eight or nine years ago, I started... Um, medical transition stuff um, uh, and have sort of taken my own path and kind of taken my own time. Um, Recently, um, about two and a half years ago now, a little over two years ago, um, I legally changed my name. Um, I hadn't for a while because my dead name, what is my dead name now, Um, my birth name felt uh, okay enough for me in the space that I was in, Um, but a few years ago, um, I made the decision that I wanted to change my name and I am very happy with my new name. Um, But yeah, so I've been out and sort of like in the classical sense of transitioning um, in sort of like a social and medical way um, for about eight, eight or nine years now.
0: We follow each other on Twitter. How great is that? <laughs> <laughs> now, but one thing um, I noticed that I noticed you actually ran into the very poster I talk about in the article I wrote a couple of days ago, where yeah. you said, "quote It's lies, lies, all lies." I have four world championships, not three. Get with the times, turfs. As a roller derby athlete, what's it like when when the transphobes and the turfs attack your sport? Earlier this year. That was done a couple months ago, and, and Derby Twitter did one of the biggest clapbacks I've ever seen. First, what does it say about your sport? And secondly, what's it like when your sport is inclusive and people are attacking you for being inclusive?
2: Yeah, so roller derby is definitely on, I would like to think it's on the um, leading edge when it comes to inclusiveness um, with respect to gender. And that's been really hard fought. So I've played roller derby since, uh, 2012, um, and competitively since like 2013. Um, and I've had to deal with a lot in those seven years or so, seven, eight years now. Um, I've been, um, harassed by other, uh, league mates when I was trying to join. I had people voting on my gender and whether or not they thought I was woman enough to join. Um, I was the first and only person who had a grievance filed against them under the old gender policy of the association. Um, I get dead named during games sometimes you know, stuff like that. So it's not a perfect sport, but it is considerably more welcoming and more defensive of that welcoming than any other space that I've ever been in. And um, it's really empowering to see that, but it's also very real that if we don't continue that, the backsliding can happen very quickly. There are transphobes in every kind of space and roller derby is no exception Uh, we often are calling people out and calling people in within the community and trying to do a lot of work ourselves internally um, so that we can be better externally when folks um, put out propaganda like that Um, but it's yeah it's, it's hard fought but it's really empowering to see
1: How do you deal with the haters who claim that you have a physical advantage and that you're endangering women's sports and women athletes just by competing?
2: Yeah. Um, So those people are horrible, but um, they exist everywhere. Um, And so I think one thing that I often have to do in moments when I'm faced with uh, people who come at me with that kind of rhetoric um, is that I have to really take a deep breath and understand the space that I'm in. And when somebody comes at me with rhetoric like that, it's often not to engage in a discussion. It's often um, to troll or to aggressively attack, right? And so um, a thing that I've learned over time is to not leave myself vulnerable um, and put myself too far out there in moments like that, but at the same time to to give that person the opportunity to be called in um, if if they really do feel like they want to engage in a conversation, um, so, as a biologist and someone with academic training in um, things to do with organismal biology and all that kind of stuff. I have a lot of academic training. Often when I bring that up, that's another thing that people just don't care about. They think it's not real, they think it's not relevant, et cetera. And so it kind of speaks to their, um, their inability to actually engage in a discussion, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but when I actually can get to a spot with somebody who's willing to you know, hear me and, and listen in a conversation, um, then the reality comes in that um, the range of people that exist is quite broad, um, and there are people who are of all kinds of genders, who are at all kinds of sizes, who are at all kinds of strengths, and that's due to... Biological differences, that's due to cultural differences, that's due to uh, opportunities given to folks as, as children, um, that's due to a whole bunch of different things, environmental influences, etc., that make people as individual athletes uh, vary considerably in their competitiveness. And that's one of the beauties of sports, is that people vary considerably in their talent and their physical prowess and everything like that that they bring to a sport.
1: You're the first biologist we've had on the show, and I've wanted to ask this question of someone like yourself for a very long time, because that phrase, biological male, biological female, to me is such bullshit. I have biology, Mm -hmm. you have biology, everybody has biology the word that they should be using is either cisgender or transgender. Am I off base? Is biological male really the descriptor for the three of us?
2: That is a really, really great question and point. Um, And the short answer to your question is no. That is not the correct descriptor for the three of us. Um, The long answer to that is that biology is not perfect. Biological sex as a construct is as human created as gender. Both of those things are human constructs that we create to try and interpret and understand the world around us. The world is imperfect. The world is much more variable than we will ever be able to describe with with simple short words and phrases. And so it is not appropriate to call a transgender woman who was assigned male at birth a biologically male woman right like that that does not inherently make sense, and I am by no means alone in this um, statement uh there uh, was a i need to find I can find a link for you all um there was a recent um letter that was put out and signed by a number of scientists many many scientists i don't know how many i could probably find right away but um
1: when you find it let's put it on our facebook page we have a facebook page for the transporter room and we'll put a link there
2: yeah um so there's a study that or a, a letter that was put out recently that was signed by hundreds of or thousands of thousands of scientists Um, around this claim of the need to put down the concept of biological sex as a thing that is held up in some higher esteem or regard than gender with respect to somebody's existence.
0: Now, Juniper, I just realized something about you. I almost forgot. Going through your bio, you know you and I are a rivalry. You know that, right? Because you went to Illinois. I I went to Northwestern. Oh, (laughs) so, so we have Wildcats Illini on this show, by the way, sorry about, sorry about last Saturday, just saying, Ah. (laughs) but I, that, that aside, um, you've done a lot, even after your PhD work, uh, you, I mean, you did a lot of work, you, and still do a lot of work at one of my favorite zoos. I spent a lot of time at Lincoln Park Zoo when I was a student at Northwestern. Um, you've done all this work, and you have this PhD. What made you decide to start Dapper Stats? What made you strike out on your own?
2: Yeah. So, uh, some positive things and some negative things. So the the positive things is that uh, I have this set of skills that I
0: cultivated in grad school around um,
2: statistical analyses for population biology. And so the, um, the weirdness and wonkiness of biological data means that a lot of folks who are like kind of classically trained in statistics, but don't know the systems that we study, like, you know, populations, um, might not have the best translational knowledge um, and the ability to work. In ecological systems very well with the kind of data that we collect. And so during grad school, I was finding that a lot of my fellow graduate students and even some professors were coming and knocking on my door and asking for some help with stats, with some help with some coding, with some help with a model that they were working on. And you know, over time I was realizing that people kept knocking on my door, I was like, hey, this is a skill set that other folks want. Maybe this is something that I can start to leverage um, as a, you know, marketable skill set. And so over time, that developed and continued to develop. And um, I really enjoy the opportunity to work and collaborate with a lot of different uh, folks doing a lot of different kinds of projects um, and have really leveraged um, those connections to be able to turn them into contracts and kind of s- slowly build up um, the income stream for my company. Um, so that's the positive side of things. The negative side of stuff is that as a visibly transgender and gender nonconforming and non-binary person who is also invisibly disabled, I, find that a lot of classical work environments can be very difficult for me to exist in. And in my jobs after graduate school in particular, I was finding it very, very difficult to just feel safe, supported, and productive in my work environment. Like, I don't really you know interface with people on a regular basis like the public you know i might have i might have some meetings with people on a given day but you know like i'm not um, out and about running around i'm really just sitting at my computer most of the day coding and doing nerdy mathy statsy stuff and i don't really need much in terms of an environment as long as i feel safe and i feel productive and i feel supported by my my superiors, um, and so I think it does say a lot about um, general work environments um, that it can be difficult to even just find a space where I felt safe. And so that's really um, what my goal has been with creating Dapper um, is to empower myself to feel safe and supported. Um, and productive in my own work environment. And what I'm excited about now is that I'm entering the the growth phase of the company. And so I'm looking at hiring my first employee and expanding outward and really thinking about being able to translate what I've done for myself to helping other folks.
1: Well, that sound you hear means it's time for a break. We'll be back with more of Juniper Simonis and The Transporter Room after this.
0: the transporter room four-time roller derby champion with the rose city rollers juniper simonis the guest today and juniper we know you do derby and you hold a phd where do those two worlds worlds collide i mean do they collide i mean is it kind of a clark kent superman type of thing or do the i mean how does one help the other and vice versa
2: that's a great question I already put in my contacts for the day, so my glasses are off. So I, I, does that mean that I'm the superhero now, right? <laughs> or the reporter, Miles advantage reporter? I'm the superhero well, right now.
0: Okay. Well, according, uh, to the, according to some members of the Gotham Girls I had a chance to talk to, you're a superhero no matter what. Um, they, sp- they spoke your name with fear and respect.
2: Well, that's very awesome of
0: them. You've made a market business. You make a markers a terror on the track, and you've done it in. And you've done it even while dealing with some barriers. You had mentioned earlier that you have an invisible disability. What is how has that impacted your life, and how have you worked through it?
1: I have
2: a a suite of psychiatric disabilities that fall under the umbrella of complex post traumatic stress disorder, um, and in particular, as an adult. Um, And recently, a lot um, of my symptoms were um, as the result of an incident that happened actually at the first world championship that I competed in um, back in 2014 in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was skating with the Windy City Rollers in Chicago, um, and at... um, an event sponsored by the association on Saturday night. Um, I was harassed and assaulted and nearly killed by uh, patrons and employees at a bar um, for merely going to the bathroom to wash my hands um, because somebody spilled beer on me. And uh, yeah, so in the wake of that incident, a number of, symptoms associated with my psychiatric disability um, were exacerbated and sort of laid bare. Um, And as a result, it made it very difficult for me to exist in social spaces and interact with other people, especially people that I don't know. And so that has contributed a lot in terms of um, me wanting to start my own business and create a space for myself and eventually for others that is safe and supportive to do work. Um, But as a result of my disability, um, like I said, it's very hard for me to exist in social spaces. Um, And so what I really do uh, try and focus on is finding groups of people and community Um, where I do feel safe and build around that. And um, roller derby has definitely um, given me a lot of those spaces. Um, And in particular, now the team that I skate with, the Wheels of Justice, I've been in this league, um, in Rogue City for um, five, nearly five years now. Um, And so I've really built um, a lot of, friendships and community and support within my network here within sports, which is really great. Um, but even still, it makes it like, it's very hard for me to navigate the world around me. Um, and so one of the, um, the best tools that I have actually, um, is, it's kind of hard to refer to him as a tool. Um, but he is a tool, um, is my service dog Wallace. Um, who is sitting quietly on a chair right by me right now? Um, he is uh, a trained service dog who I continue to train and work with. Um, he's about five years old, um, and he is uh, an amazing pupo who helps me navigate the world around me um, and is trained to do a number of very specific tasks to help mitigate the symptoms of my PTSD which come up all the time when I go out in public.
1: You know, I can't thank you enough for sharing that with us. I think that um, there's a stigma associated with PTSD and mental health, and we need to do everything we can to both help people uh, with these conditions and to help people who don't have them understand that this is just part of health. Your, your, your mind and your emotions are all part of our human experience. And I you know, tip my uh, hat to you. If I was wearing a hat, I would tip my hat to you to say oh, thank you for sharing that because I think that you had a, a choice. You could have basically ignored it and, and slowly spiraled, or you could have tackled it and faced uh, the world around you with your um, uh, your medical professionals' help and with the assistance of uh, what was what's your what's your service animal's name? Wallace. Wallace. Uh, hi, Wallace. Hi, Wallace. Oh, hi. I want to I wanna, uh, segue now into the reason we call this show The Trans Sporter Room is because Carly and I love science fiction. Is that something that you enjoy? And you don't have to be a geek to be a sci-fi fan. No,
2: totally. Um, so I'm definitely a big sci-fi fan. Um, I would not consider myself a, a sci-fi fan of any particular ilk. My uh my background is pretty broad. I uh yeah, I'm I'm a generalist when it comes to science fiction, but I do enjoy it quite a lot.
0: What science fiction are you grooving on right now, though? What what's kind of the thing you kind of watching at the moment, or the most recent thing you've been you've or been reading checking out or reading? <laughs> yeah. That too.
2: I am definitely looking forward to the uh, the finale of Star Wars, though. Um, I say finale in quotes.
0: Looking at the last, the, the two most recent star Wars films, and this one's going to be episode nine and they say they're going to close the show. I mean, based on the first two, I'm kind of of the opinion that this has to be a hit. This, this franchise needs to walk off on the right note. Do you think that this next one can possibly hit a home run or at least give us a solid walk off double to ride off into the sunset? With?
2: I hope so. I really hope so. But I also feel like it's going to give us a solid walk-off double, and then there's going to be an after-innings game for fun. Or, you know, there's going to be, there's, I don't, you know, it's not going to end. You know, especially now with, with Disney, um, DeLorean, and stuff. Like, I have a feeling that the, um, the Star Wars universe is going to continue to grow. And that's actually really fun. It's, it's awesome to see, you know, the sort of influence of things like fan fiction and that expanse. Yeah, I, I have
1: no doubt there'll be more Star Wars films. They just won't be Skywalker stories. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a sucker. I loved all the films, even the bad ones. And uh, <laughs> the last trailer, the last trailer made me cry. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have a feeling it'll be a hit for me, even if, you know, if it's not a hit for everyone else.
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing. I did like The Mandalorian. Oh, it's a I great did, show. I, I did it. check it out. I did like it.
1: Yeah, I'm hooked. Juniper, thank you so much for joining us in the Transporter Room. Let's set coordinates back for Portland, Oregon, get you down there. And we look forward to hearing more about your success and about your struggles and about how you overcome them. Thanks for joining us in the Transporter Room.
0: Thanks, Juniper. Thanks. Go with of justice.
1: Thanks to you both. Talk to you later. Well, Carly, it's another great episode. Looking forward next week to having Charlie Martin. Being a petrol head, I can't wait. I'm fangirling
0: already for Charlie Martin. Charlie, we're looking forward to you next week.
1: And we also apologize to our listeners who thought we were gonna be talking to Juniper Eastwood, but we got a mix up and you know what? I think we did just great with Juniper Simonis. They were great, they were just fantastic.
0: This was an excellent show and it's actually given us the insight to the recent news that's been on Outsports.com because again, they were on that the anti-trans propaganda poster that became kind of our template for examining how we crack the code of bias.
1: I'm grateful to you for writing that story. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Steady as she goes, Mr. Sulu.